Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Now the Seahawks improved to two and two with a win in Arizona, but we crack the mic today on the Game Plan Podcast with sad hearts. This will be the teary-eyed game plan podcast. Absolutely nothing to be happy about except, I guess, <laughs> the second and final victory of the season. Alongside <laughs> Brian Perkins, I'm Judah be on the game plan podcast. Of course, we're referencing the Seattle's 20-17 to win. Sebastian Janikowski's 52-yarder at the buzzer to win it. I feel like saying improved to 2-2 two and two is almost fake news. That is fake news. Like, you know, uh, I almost feel like saying that they improved in any way shape or form is totally not true at all okay i get what you're saying though because their record technically improved but man brutal game on so many levels let's start though with the headliner and that's the earl thomas injury we'll also get to the will disley injury but earl thomas late in the fourth quarter as arizona's driving down they get a 21 yard touchdown pass earl tries to dive to make a play and it looks like his leg just kind of went out from under him as he was approaching to make his dive over the top of the receiver and fractures his lower left leg. The identical injury that he suffered in December of 2016 that ended his season then. Seattle puts him on injured reserve today. I guess there's an outside shot he could come back, but why would you for a team that without him is not going to make the playoffs and not playing for anything important? He's going to turn 30 years old later this year. He's going to be a free agent. There's a overwhelming good chance that that was his last down as a Seattle Seahawk. That in and of itself is devastating considering the context of Earl Thomas. His reaction was equally tragic being carted off the field in a cast with his teammates around him and then giving the middle finger to the Seattle Seahawks sideline to whom any one person in particular, I'm not sure, but the gesture was you understand exactly what he means by it. He felt like he got screwed over without getting the contract extension, without getting any new guaranteed money to where a situation like this would at least feel slightly less devastating, but still devastating, regardless if you get the money or not. You know, he's done for the year and his career in Seattle most likely is finished. What was your reaction to all of that? Let's start exactly with the injury. Yeah, I mean, Earl Thomas is my favorite Seahawk of all time. And to see the way that he has now gone out as a Seahawk, because he's not coming back, not only on a touchdown, his final place as Seahawk is an opposing team scoring a touchdown on him, which is, well, not on him, but on the defense, which is kind of sad in and of itself because he did so much for that defense over the years. But to have him break his leg like that, the uh, the middle finger, the animosity between him and the franchise that uh, might be a wound that who knows how long it will take to heal if it ever does. And when you think about, you know, revisiting this team 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, and the, the, the greatness that was the Seattle Seahawks from, you know, 2012 to 2015, let's say, and the integral part that he was, I mean, it's, I, I sound a little discombobulated because it's just, there's a lot of emotions and thoughts, and it was really, really sad to see the way that his career in Seattle ended. Yeah, and 
the Legion of Boom's careers all ended freaking in Arizona, in Glendale. And, you know, Earl Thomas, I mean, he was the guy that they built that defense around, right? He was the guy that was steady year in and year out. He was the only good, the only great first-round draft pick that Pete Carroll uh, has made in his tenure in Seattle. And he is a first-ballot Hall of Famer and one of the best to ever do it at that position. And he defined the attitude for that Seahawks defense for all those years that they were top tops in the league. So really, really sad to see it end that way. But unfortunately in sports, it's rare that you have a happy ending for an athlete with a franchise. There's not a lot of John Elways out there. There's a lot of Earl Thomases and a lot of Richard Shermans. Yeah, we'll see what this means for his football future if he indeed does come back with what team and in what role. You know, it sucks to see that animosity. I understand it. Uh, I'm not even that mad at it, only because we've seen players flip off the Seahawks sideline before. Again, in that building, no less. And as you <laughs> mentioned, that building, the site of the Super Bowl defeat to the Patriots, the site of the final plays in the career of Cam Chancellor and the final play of the Seahawks career of Richard Sherman, and now most likely the final play in the Seahawks career of Earl Thomas, that building is cursed for Seattle Seahawks. Uh, players, coaches, fans... Man, it's terrible that we still have to play there once every year. Let's boot Arizona out of the division and not have to do that. But that's terrible. As so, I mean, how do you feel, though, about Earl Thomas? I mean, you... Terrible. I, it makes me not want to be a football fan anymore. Um, that might be hyperbole, but you literally, you want to vomit. I mean, the guy, even though he's at odds with the organization rather explicitly, literally and figuratively, he... uh he gave 110% on the football field every single play because his overall philosophy playing football is to play for your brothers. The only reason he was out there was because his teammates needed him. Not even the team, the teammates. He could care less about the coaches, obviously. His teammates needed him, and that's why he played. That's the only reason why he played. Love of the game and love for his teammates. That's it. No other reason. So it sucks that 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 happened. I appreciate how, you know, he led on the football field, but everywhere else as a fan, it was devastating because you know how much he means. And it's just, it's like seeing, you know, I don't pretend to know what it's like to see. Well, let's just say you see two of your best friends, you know, break up that you've grown up with. They dated for five or six years. Maybe they were married or at least engaged and you see them break up and you got to stay in touch with both of them. But it's never the same. It's never the same, and it, it leaves a lasting, terrible taste in your mouth. Because it's like, well, you remember all the good times we had, but in the end, what's it like now? We're broken up. It kind of feels like that to me in this case. And it's terrible. And that's okay. I mean, some things end terribly, and this is one of them. So, Will Disley got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Not laughing at the injury, but well, that's a segue, folks. I mean, where the hell do you go? There's another injury. There's your segue. And not only that, but it's a terrible injury. It's not just like, oh, broken ankle out for the year, he'll be back. I mean, ruptured patella, I mean, those types of injuries. Remember when Jimmy Graham had the same injury against uh, Pittsburgh, was Pittsburgh, right, yeah. in that game against Pittsburgh, that crazy offensive. Boy, imagine Seattle having an offense like that anymore. Um I mean, there were questions whether or not Jimmy Graham would ever return again after an injury like that. And Disley's obviously a lot younger, and he had a pretty positive tweet today. You know, uh, you know, hey, the sun rose today. You know, good vibes, whatever, whatever. But 
man, just one of the bright spots on Seattle's offense gone in an instant. And last night, they only dressed two tight ends, and he was one of them, and then he's out in the first quarter, and you have to adjust your game plan, your formations, and all that. Yeah, your heart goes out to Will Disley, super productive, and a former defensive lineman at University of Washington, turned tight end, you know, turned fourth-round pick. Really good story, and it's, of course, a good story is cut out from the knees at uh, for the Seattle Seahawks again, because this is a tragically snake-bitten organization. I don't like football. So Seattle <laughs> won the game 20-17. to 17. Sebastian Janikowski wins it with a 52-yard field goal. Let's start with the bad, because that's uh, that's the storyline today. Feels like there's a lot of that. Let's start with the bad. Um, 0 for 10 on third down with the Seahawks. The fifth time in history they went conversionless on third down, and the first time, of course, in history that they won a game going conversionless on third down. It's First not team like, since it's 2010. It's not like 0 for 6 or 0 for 5, you know. No. When, 0 for 10, and they still won the football game. That tells you how bad Arizona is. But yeah, you're right. First team in the NFL to go conversionless since 2010. And win. To go and conversionless win. and win. Yep, since the Niners... The Niners did it in 2010. Oh, is that I, can't, a, I can't remember weather, who they beat. A weather-shortened game in like the third <laughs> quarter. They just called it. The Perkins' third down was atrocious in this game for a few reasons. One, just the failure to convert, whether it was passes that were completed short of the sticks, whether it was questionable play calling on third and short, whether it was a sack. They couldn't get out of their own way. They couldn't make it happen on third down. No, and it started early in the game, right? They're driving, opening drive, and... They get into Arizona territory on about the 45-yard line and can't convert on a third and one. Or they, they they come up short of the sticks and it ends up being fourth and one. And, of course, they end up punting there. But I, I just don't understand the play call. I, I don't understand if is it a receiver brain fart that they don't get to the sticks. I mean, there were multiple passes in that game where guys were catching the ball on third down short of the sticks. And I just don't understand... The mindset there of giving Doug Baldwin a route where he's coming back, momentum is completely stopped, short of the sticks, and expecting him to be able to make a play. I I was very frustrated watching watching this team on third down, unable to convert because it felt like they were just it was just poor play calling. Whenever there's a completion a yard shy of the sticks, there's a reason to be frustrated. Because you you wonder, first of all, was that the primary read in the play? Yeah. You know, why would your primary read be stopped short of the sticks? It didn't feel that way necessarily with the Doug Baldwin one early, and I know there was another one later in the game as well that I'm not as sure about. But, you know, Brian Schottenheimer, I, I read on him, notorious for being a meticulously detail-oriented uh, wide receivers coach in particular in terms of where you're lining up on the line of scrimmage. Are you a foot inside? Or are you foot outside? Like those details matter. He's similarly detailed with depth of route and how you cut it off. And we know Baldwin is a master technician in running routes. And some plays are designed to where you do catch it short of the sticks, but you have enough separation where you can just lean forward and get the first down. I mean, yeah. But when that doesn't happen, when that, and when you fail to get it twice on completed passes, you got to make adjustments somehow, whether it's on the receiver and whether it's on Schottenheimer or both. The wide receivers coaches, I mean, you got to pick that up. Russell even, um, you know, that's 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 really inexcusable to me. And so it was that. It was also not running the ball on third and short after they ran it pretty well. And that, that's the bizarre thing to me is this is a team that that 
talked all offseason about running the football, right? And, and you saw last week them really get to that identity. And even this week, Judah, we saw them run the ball. No question. And they had their best effort running the football they have had through four games this season. And they looked good. I mean, Mike Davis was out there, Russell Wilson out, getting out in front and blocking. Uh, that was huge, <laughs> guys. Man. I mean, they looked – the offensive line was moving guys, right, around. You saw an efficient run game from Seattle, yet when Arizona has six guys in the box on third and one, you don't run the football. You, you take a sack. Yeah, I'm confused you, with it, that. It's, it just doesn't – it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And not only that, but not only did they not run the football on those plays, they didn't do play action. They didn't – I mean, I, I just – I'm really confused about, you know, establishing the run – and then not doing anything else around the run game that complements that that facet. I do not I, I am really, really, really confused about what the hell Schottenheimer is doing. Well, and you should be, because the production is sim I mean, 0 for ten just speaks for itself on third down. Also this, I don't understand this at all. Five point seven yards per pass. So absolutely no shots down the field. No shots really whatsoever. 5.7 yards per pass for a $20 million quarterback. Who, by the, the way, Air is one of the best deep passers in the game. Notorious. Arizona, their quarterback making his first career NFL start, averaged about a half yard more per pass than Russell freaking Wilson. What is that? They've, what is that? They've neutered him. I mean, that's how it feels. You have a franchise quarterback, a guy that's considered a tier one or maybe a high tier two quarterback in this league. You're paying him, like you said, a lot of money to perform. And you know what? In the opportunities that he had, Russell, I thought, actually played pretty well, right? Like you look at his completion percentage and 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 things like that. But not only are you not running play action where Russell Wilson is extremely effective, you're not giving him any sort of attempts downfield. He had one attempt beyond 15 yards yesterday. Jeez. One attempt. And it was incomplete, by the way. That is ridiculous with the skill set that you have. You're taking your quarterback's best asset and taking it away. Russell Wilson has become an essential afterthought on this team. And he's your best offensive weapon. It makes no sense at all. If you're going to run the football and you're going to have success like they did, and then you don't, you, you don't capitalize on that with any sort of play action throughout this game. And Pete Carroll is a guy that's traditionally prided himself on explosive plays, right? You have to win the explosive play battle on offense, and you'll win the game. None of that happened in this game. The, one of the most conservative game plans I can remember seeing from Seattle. And it seems to be progressively moving in that direction. And I know Pete Carroll talked this morning about Arizona's not a team that scored more than 20 points, so we thought if we can get there that, that we'll win the game. And they did, I guess. But it feels like it's, it's a convenient line. Yeah, I mean, it really is, isn't it? I, it it was very very. I don't understand how Seattle outpossessed Arizona. Thirty one minutes, thirty one forty six to twenty eight fourteen without converting a third down. That's insane to me. You know that they had they outpossessed the Cardinals in this game by three and a half minutes, going over ten on third down. That's the, I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. The only reason that I can think of that being true is the turnover. The but drop, there was only one. But the drop passes, mm -hmm. 
I think, you know, Rosen had a couple of dimes uh, that were just completely dropped. Now, Seattle, did, I mean, get into that too, but Seattle had a few themselves. But, you know, Arizona shot themselves in the foot plenty offensively, right? I mean, they're not a good team. Rosen had a couple of really nice deep balls that were just muffed by receivers. I think that plays into it as well. Shout out Mike Davis, 21 carries for a buck 01, averaging 4.8. Rashad Penny went 9 for 49, averaging 5.4. The team as a whole, 34 rushes for 171 yards. That's five yards per rush. And, of course, the two touchdowns from Mike Davis as well. You mentioned the play that Russell Wilson is a lead blocker for him. That was the play that got me most fired up. The play that got me least fired up, aside from the injuries, was the Brandon Marshall drop early in the first half. I think if he makes that catch, there's a chance this game takes a significantly different shape. It wasn't even on third down, but Seattle was moving the ball. They had just forced the uh, turnover on the Cardinals. They had the ball, had a chance to move the sticks. Wide open Brandon Marshall drops it a week after dropping three passes against Dallas. Would have been a first down. I had confidence that the offense could have put the ball in the paint again. They had all the momentum in the world. But after that drop, they ran. They missed a third down. They missed a field goal. Arizona was able to kind of re-get momentum at that point and take a 10-7 lead into the half. I just think if Marshall makes that catch, you score a touchdown there to go up 14-0 or even 10-0 at that point, you have a chance to break it open early. Because I don't, I don't know if Arizona would have had the wherewithal to get back into the game if they were down two touchdowns early. Yeah, and it felt like after that drop, they played for the field goal, didn't they? I mean, if it, that's that's how it felt a little bit. So, you know, it's just that, and Brandon Marshall has not been good at all. Uh, they might have to in let his him tenure go. in Seattle. Yeah, yeah it, unfortunately, catch the football. Jeez. You know, Russ seems to be targeting him quite a bit and uh, is looking in his direction a lot. So I don't know. Is there a comfortability factor there where they don't want to let him go because of that? But, you know, you saw Moore go out there and, you know, I mean, he had his the, the patented fumble to yourself and pick it back up play, which is great. Uh, really catches the defense off guard, helps you get a few extra yards. Um, <laughs> but Baldwin, it was good to see him back. And I don't know if Baldwin is back and healthy. Do you need Marshall? I mean, if he's dropping footballs and we've seen this now. Uh, well, you need that big bodied receiver. You know me. You know me and my, my thoughts on having a big body receiver, but you know, if the guy can't catch the bleep in football, I don't know why you're keeping him on the roster. I mean, the margin for error is so slim on offense, you can't have guys dropping wide open passes like that. 25, fourth quarter in overtime wins now for Russell Wilson. That was tough, man. Having no timeouts and a, and a two minute offense that demands 70% running plays. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, you know, they, they got in borderline Janikowski territory after he already missed from 52 and 38. Did it frustrate you at all that they played for a freaking 50-yard field goal? Yeah, I mean, a little bit, but at the same time, I uh, no timeouts. You're pretty hamstrung with what to do there. Yeah, because n- I've n- seen not a run lot the football? Of, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, but I mean, you know, if you get sacked, you go to overtime, and I, I, I think the fear of the sack is a worthy fear with this team. So, I could... I, I don't know. Running the football, yeah, but it seemed to me that they intentionally knew Janikowski's range, and even though he had missed twice, they were going to put faith in him anyway. And it's, you know, I don't blame him necessarily for that. I guess it helps that he made it. Which, by the way, that ball off his leg, I thought it was fading left. Yep, so Fading did I, left, the and then way. it started straightening out, and I'm like, oh, God. See, <laughs> bass. And he got it. Won the game. So this team's definitely going to the Super Bowl. And, uh, 
It's just, unfortunately, it has to be without Earl Thomas, but that's, all the faith in the world in Bradley McDougald and Tedrick Thompson. That's the, uh, well, McDougald's played well, but he's been, nasty. that is the projection that, that Earl Thomas would be ready by the Super Bowl. So, I love that. You know, Seattle just takes care of business next week against the Rams, and you're good to go. I mean, clearly, this team uh, it has everything, all the gears working in motion right now. Six win team? Uh, Cardinals one more time. At I home. thought they were a seven to nine win team going into the year, and I'm I don't know if they get there. So probably. Six I mean, they're fair. a bad team. I mean, they're a bad football team. Well, they're not good. So, and I think six wins might lead to a complete change in regime. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean, they not only are they bad aesthetically. My God, they are not a fun team to watch at all. Right? No. Like the whole game, you're just pissed off. Even when they won, I was pissed off. It didn't. I was. I'm not even mad anymore because my expectations have fallen so low with the offense that it's like I prepare mentally for the worst, and anything that's good, I'll take as a grain of salt. But it's all about perspective, really. You can't expect anything of substance from this offense, and then you just get pleasantly surprised when they do well. Going against Arizona, um, I was hoping they would come away with a comfortable victory there. I really did, and and I know that. Look, it's a win's a win, right? And and ultimately, that's what matters, I guess. But the way that they won that game to me was gross, disgusting, and lucky, all in uh, rolled into one big ew package, gross package. There, you lose Earl Thomas, your best defensive player, your best player. I mean, let's be honest. Um, you have an offensive coordinator that only has a job in the NFL because of nepotism. I. Uh, I have zero faith that uh, this team is going to be competitive. Yeah, you know, they're probably going to the bye week. Ironically, three and three because the the Raiders are not any good themselves. But I'm not even confident saying that anymore. You yep. know, the Raiders are the team that they face in London the week after facing the LA Rams, and then it's the bye week. Rams next week. Lay the points. Good news is Penny's figuring things out. Uh, you know, Mike Davis looks good. Their running back situation. Uh, their depth at that position is great. Um, maybe CJ Procise. Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Uh, calling CJ Procise. Calling CJ Procise. I believe they have half the playbook built for you or a portion of the playbook built for you as they talked about in the preseason. Oh, he only got three snaps and he's perfectly healthy? Okay, gotcha. He was probably winded from special teams. <laughs> he's Brian Perkins. I'm Chuda Newby. We'll see you later in the week to give you the excellent preview of the great game, Rams Seahawks. This is the Game Plan Podcast.